My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I'd like to start this episode by talking about Kat's uh, current growing obsession with flashlights. What? What is this about? It's it's unreal. You ordered some new flashlights. I did, yes. I and was you got very, very excited about you hung them up all over the house in strategic locations, which I appreciate because we lose power here on the island a lot. Yeah. Um, but we were out. You saw like a security guy and he had one of those flashlights on his belt. Mm-hmm. And I heard Kat say, looks like a 2200 lumen. It's a nice flashlight. That's all. What what is what is what is up with your your obsession with flashlights? Well, so we had you know you know how we, all right. So we had in our house some flashlights, uh, but we didn't have any that worked. And so I decided it was time, like, we're going to get some new flashlights. And so I had to do some research on flashlights. And so then uh, when I started learning, I found some neat flashlights. And I, I got <laughs> And then I sent you that text and you made fun of me. I didn't make fun of you. of the text that I sent you about how excited I was about <laughs> having ordered water and flashlights. And then... Uh, just to be clear, I didn't make fun of you. I find that endearing. All of this is endearing. I married a woman who probably is just moments away from starting a Facebook flashlight aficionados group. Well, here's the thing is the 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 flashlights that I selected, though not being large enough to be tactical, which is really one of the things that I was looking for. Right. Um do have uh, one of those sliding heads so that you can change the shape and scope right, of right. the the light beam and that's that's very exciting I yes it is it's fun it's and the dog loves it <laughs> the dog loves watching the little light dance along the floor he doesn't care well no I mean he thinks that he can eat it and <laughs> that's the issue there. <laughs> Anyway, um, it's good to know we have extra flashlights, so I'm happy about that. You can never have too many flashlights. 
My story is about... Flashlights? No. Uh. Although maybe some people in the story own them or have operated flashlights. I'd love to hear about them. (laughs) I'm going to talk about (laughs) Mineral Point, Wisconsin. Mineral Point, Wisconsin is a town in Iowa County, just southeast of Madison on Route 151. Mineral Point was settled in 1827, becoming a lead and zinc mining center during the 19th and early 20th century. Today, the city's historical character has uh, made it out to be a bit of a regional tourist destination. The population, as of the 2010 census, was about 2,500 people. But Mineral Point is also known for its strange occurrences that date back decades. It appears to be a paranormal hotspot. Like that lake and fringe? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Let's, Let's start with the haunted Walker house. According to Ranker, you really enjoyed that callback, didn't you? <laughs> You're overtired. <laughs> you know, if you'd get to bed at a reasonable hour, it stops staying up all night looking at flashlight ads on Amazon. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. <clears throat> okay. 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 According to Ranker, the current owners of the historical Walker House, they say that they have themselves never experienced any kind of uh, ghost or haunting or anything like that. But many who visited or worked in the house before it changed hands disagree with that. They say, well, in fact, uh, the one-time property manager, Walker Calvert, said uh, that he had numerous ghost encounters, including one with a headless man in 1981. That's terrifying. The inn and the restaurant date back to the 1800s. I don't think I'd want to eat at a haunted restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. Excuse me. There seems to be a poltergeist in my potato salad. (laughs) No, thank you. I don't want any demon spawn touching my eggs. Thank you. No, it all has to be separate on the plate. (laughs) So many think the spirit that haunts the place is a man who was hanged from a tree <laughs> outside by an angry mob after he stole a horse from a neighbor. Oh, man. Yeah. Other witnesses have reported seeing floating heads Oof. and feeling cold gusts of air, uh, which really isn't that unusual when you're talking about a house that was built in the early 1800s. But nonetheless, it adds <laughs> to the lore. Sure. I mean, the heads, yes. Yeah, well, sure. But not the breeze. No. The headless ghost is uh, known to be quite mischievous, playing tricks like locking employees in the freezer. No, I do not care for that. Thank you. They have one of those big walk-in freezers. No. There's so many times I have worked in restaurants and have had to go into a walk-in, but I am not someone who 
ever would let it close behind me. You know, I put a giant five-gallon tub of ranch uh, in between the <laughs> yeah. door because, uh, no, I, absolutely not. I've also cried in a lot of walk-in freezers, <laughs> but that's... Really? Tell us about that. Well, you know, I worked in restaurants. Oh, okay. So, so. That, was, that was all it took. <laughs> the fact that you were Pretty a rest- much. restaurant employee. Mm-hmm. Okay. I make three seventy-five an hour. <laughs> People are yelling at me. So that's the Walker House. Then there was that time that werewolf popped up in uh, Hunting the American Werewolf Beast Men in Wisconsin and Beyond. Linda S. Godfrey talks about a woman that she identifies only as Kim. Is there a big werewolf population in Wisconsin? Well, not a big one, but in 1987, there was a werewolf sighting in Mineral Point. Werewolf? Werewolf. Kim in this book says that uh, in the middle of a spring afternoon, just before the full moon, she saw a werewolf running at full speed. And as he was running, he was turning into a man. No. And he reached a building and he clutched the railing of the building and completely turned back into into a man. She was said, he wearing clothes? It doesn't say. I've often wondered about that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, obviously, it's hard to find pants that fit. Right. Well, for me anyway, but if I kept turning back and forth into a canine. Right. Well, we're watching uh, one of our October scary movie advent calendar movies the other day, The uh, Room, which uh, was about a room that in this creepy old house would manifest whatever you'd asked for. Right. And uh, anyway, something creepy that happened in it was that, uh, can I tell that without spoiling? Spoiler alert for for a room, uh, there was rapid aging that happened in right, it. Right, 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 right. Unfortunately, the the aged person in one scene was wearing the same jeans as the non-aged person, and it didn't make any sense at all. Like, did those jeans just have some super stretch to them? Well, maybe they, no. yeah, they have that that, that uh, Dynaflex to it or whatever they Absolutely call it. Absolutely not. Plus, you know, the older you get, the more your ass sags. So, you know, pants aren't going to fit. If I were to go and put on some of my pants from even five years ago, Mm -hmm. um, it would be a struggle. I couldn't get the the waist closed, first of all. But uh, secondly, the the ass in it would, you know, wouldn't fit. My ass is too saggy now. I, I disagree. I wear your pants regularly, and they are pretty much the same as they were five years ago. I think you're exaggerating your ass sag. Hey, I have never once exaggerated my ass sag. I'm shocked that you would even suggest it, madam. I always get compliments, too, when I wear your pants, and I feel like maybe you pick out better clothes than I do. (laughs) (laughs) So she wasn't the only one that saw this. Uh, 15 to 20 different people also witnessed that same incident. Oh, wow. Of the uh, werewolf. This was in 87, you said? Yes. So no cell phones. Yeah, 1987. Yeah, Yeah, pre-cell phone, of course. And none of the 15 to 20 uh, people could uh, determine what kind of pants he was wearing either. So that's that's still out there. So moving along, let's not leave out UFOs. Of course not. In this small Wisconsin town. Uh, in his book, The W Files, Jay Rath writes that in 1986, a local sheriff, as well as many local resident, residents, witnessed a bright light right over the town of Mineral Point. The light appeared to be motionless, 
It's, it just hovered there for an extended period of time and then took off at a high rate of speed and did not make any noise at all. The sight occurred around the same time as the werewolf sighting, just before it. When you start to add all this up, you think, Jesus, this is a supernatural hotspot for sure. That's what I think. Oh, it gets better. The Ridgeway Phantom. Oh. Yep. It's another odd supernatural entity that Mineral Springs residents have encountered. This goes back all the way to the mid-19th century. If early accounts are reliable, the Ridgeway Phantom, it, it takes on several shapes, but its one goal is to terrify people. Oh, my goodness. It'll show up as a ball of fire. It'll show up as a headless man. So that could have been what they saw at the, at the Walker house. Sure. In the 19th century, people were scared shitless of the Phantom to the point where citizens would request armed escorts before leaving their homes after sunset. The legend seems to trace its roots to the uh, 1840 murder of two local brothers. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> it always blows my mind when you hear about these legends that spring up from truly horrific actual events. And it's like, for some reason, we can't just have this yeah. terrible, terrible thing have happened. That's it's like, not enough. No, no. Now it needs to be related to haunted pasta salad. <laughs> well, these occurrences have caused a lot of stir or stirs. Would it create quite a stir? Quite a stir. Okay, I'll go with that. You could just say uh, a hubbub. A hubbub. Well, there's one thing. A that, community din. There is there is one thing that has uh, caused uh, a much larger community din or hubbub, if you will. And again, according to Ranker, the Mineral Point Vampire. Oh. The Mineral Point Vampire has stalked people of Mineral Springs for many years, and. You know, you'd think that maybe it was a, an urban legend or whatever, mm -hmm. but there have been sightings going back to 1981, but no further. So it's a fairly recent phenomena. It's a great year. And I would have to think that Wisconsin vampires have it rough. I mean, if you're a vampire, why would you choose Wisconsin? Beautiful scenery. No, I know that. But if you're a vampire, why do you choose Wisconsin? Cheese curds? No. I don't know. I don't know. We know a vampire and they live in Maine. So, I mean... We know a vampire? Yeah, an energy vampire. She's oh, terrible. Yeah. She's terrible. <laughs> yeah, we, we know a couple of those. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the reason that it's tough for uh, Wisconsin vampires is because there was a piece of proposed legislation seeking to make vampirism illegal. Oh, no. Um, but that didn't deter this particular nocturnal bloodsucker from showing his face. Witnesses report uh, Witness reports indicate that at least... Three real-life vampire sightings have been uh, reported between eight, uh, 1981 and 2008. What does that mean, a vampire sighting? Like, I know there are people who claim to be vampires right, who do drink right. other people's bloods and stuff. But, I mean, that's just, you know, people doing sure, doing their sure. thing. Well, you know. <laughs> I don't mean to make that sound like it's just chill, but, you know. In, in all fairness, there have been uh, no reported victims of whatever, you know, to lead people to believe that, that there was a vampire. Sure. These are all, it's strange sightings that people explain as vampire. Oh, like like a toothy guy flying alongside your car? Kind of, yes. Got it. Yeah. Okay. The descriptions for all of the encounters are incredibly similar. <clears throat> the creature is a tall, thin, pale man in a cape. I think that's an aesthetic. I like it. 
I'm into it. Well, one snowy night in 1981, after receiving multiple reports that someone who looked suspiciously like a vampire was (laughs) roaming around the Graceland Cemetery, Officer John Pepper decided to go investigate. So, of course, you know, he thought, yeah, okay, vampire, right. So he went and uh, he, he shows up at the graveyard. He takes out his tactical flashlight. But that's nice. But the vampire, or whatever it was, realized that he was being observed and he fled from the scene. On foot? Yes. Officer Pepper gave chase, but the vampire got away. He was too fast. What happened, according to Officer Pepper, was the vampire got away when it made a superhuman leap and cleared the Graceland Cemetery's six-foot wall. Oh, was it Michael Jordan? Because we were watching a documentary the other day, and some of his dunks don't make no sense. That, yeah. No, I don't think it was Michael Jordan. All right. Um, The next morning, Officer Pepper and a few other members of the police department went back to the cemetery. What they found was... A baby trampoline? No. Um. Footprints leading up to the wall, stopping, and then never landing on the other side of the wall. Did he run along the top of the wall or uh, turn into a bat? Is that what they're implying? They're implying that he just never landed. All right, all right, all right. And then 23 years go by. It's hot. In 2004, several witnesses claimed that a creepy-looking man tried to attack residents in a nearby apartment building by jumping at them from a tall tree. Again, police dispatched officers. They spotted a man who fit the description, not only of the one that was just given, but the guy from 1981. After police spotted this guy, he fled again. Officers, again, gave chase. This time they lost him when he seemingly flew over a 10-foot wall. Although they saw the so-called vampire and found physical evidence in the form of footprints, again, they were unable to catch him Mm. because he just flew away. So we're on the hunt for a sexy gymnastic arborist. (laughs) Okay. And then he resurfaced for the third time, four years later. Instead of being out in the open this time, the vampire chose to stalk would-be victims from a more subtle location. It was a couple fishing, and they heard noises. And as they watched the area where the noise was coming from, up from under the jetty came this thin, tall, pale guy in a cape, and he ran across the jetty. They were terrified by this. He leapt off the jetty and then disappeared, and then they they dropped all of their gear, and they headed into town to report it because they were freaked out. And when they came back with the police officer, all of their gear was still there. The only thing that was missing, their flashlight. And that's true. Wow. Their flashlight. No indication as to how many lumens. Very interesting indeed. Now, what time of day was this? This was at nighttime they fled? Because why would they flee Sans flashlight? I think it was just at the gloaming. I got it. Okay. So let me get this straight. There's this super sexy guy tootling around. He's got incredibly strong legs. He loves trees. And he's into flashlights. Mm -hmm. I'm going to Wisconsin. (laughs) (laughs) And now, that thing in the middle. For today's thing in the middle, we found a wonderful compilation on BuzzFeed of And Then I Got Fired (laughs) stories. So we thought we'd share a few of those with you. Catman Dude writes, I was the computer operator for a big company in the 1980s. 
For a couple of months, the ugliest plaid fleece coat imaginable was hanging on the coat rack. Finally, I got so fed up that I took it home and threw it in the garbage. Found out it was my boss's hashtag, and then I was fired. Number four, arriving at work, my boss. Uh, Tim, is that whiskey on your breath? Me, what? No. My boss, I smell whiskey on you. Me, that's vodka, you uncultured swine. <laughs> Hashtag, and then I was fired. Number three, Mad Cat writes, um, I was told I could bring in additional office supplies from home, so I brought in a, uh, a pillow and blanket. Hashtag, and then I was fired. Number two, they saw my Twitter feed. Hashtag, and then I was fired. <laughs> That's all it takes sometimes. Yeah. And number one, Scott writes, I brought my Komodo dragon to work on Bring Your Dog to Work Day. Hashtag, and then I was fired. Can you have a Komodo dragon as a pet? I don't think in the States, no. 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 The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house, yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi-connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing. If you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames. And living so far away from family, thanks to Aura... 
that's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Wow, that was close. We just barely uploaded this section of the show before you downloaded it. I mean, like seconds ago. How did you do that? We didn't even see you there. Shit. Okay. This is the Box of Oddities. Fuck. We've had some really fun stories sent to us recently. Examples of... The box of oddities effect, and this has been happening more and more. The box of oddities effect is something that we have seen in increasing numbers. Coincidences that happen in life, or should I say so-called coincidences Mm. in life that somehow is connected to the podcast, The Box of Oddities, as you're listening to it. Ben wrote, holy crap, my first box of oddities effect. Having just finished today's podcast, I went on to TikTok. And the first on my For You page was Tony Free Tony, the guy who restores old headstones. (laughs) P.S. I'd never heard of him or seen him or on TikTok before Kat had mentioned it. And that's the guy that I told you I've become obsessed with. I watch his headstone restoring all the time. I love it. So that's so cool. That's amazing. Zandria writes, all right, box of oddities effect. I'm very involved with my local comic book community, so much so that I help host live sales on Wednesdays for new comic books and Saturdays is for anything goes for my buddy's comic book store. We often get sidetracked and joke around and talk and sing and do all kinds of entertaining stuff on the sale. When my friend's messing around and singing, he turned to me and asked for suggestions for a song. And I said, let's all sing Mbop. At that point, the song has been stuck in my head for about a week. I just listened to today's episode where (laughs) JG was talking about Mbop Uh being stuck in his head for about a week. How about that? (laughs) Wow. You know... Those of us in this freak family together, I think we share one one brain. It's, one, one, it's like a hive mind. It's like the body snatchers. Yeah. The aliens from body snatchers. Just like that. They all share the same central intelligence. So, yeah. And, yeah but then they, they eat you. 
That's not great. No, we don't do that. That's not great. We discourage that so much. (laughs) We really do. Don't eat your fellow freaks. That's right. It's a good lesson. Annie Hoozle, what you got for me? Oh, so we've talked about Australia and how it's magical and amazing. There are so many things there that can kill you, you know, poisonous <laughs> spiders and venomous snakes and such. Uh, but uh, because there's so much uncharted in Australia, the Australian outback, Australian ocean, the lush forests of Tasmania, etc., there's probably a lot of stuff out there that we don't know about. And so I got to thinking about Australian cryptids. I'm in. You had me at Australian cryptids. That's quite the... By the way, I have a cold. It's not the COVID. It's fine. You sound great. Thanks. I wanted to start with the bunyip, which translated uh, means the devil or evil spirit. Uh, He's a creature of aboriginal mythology, uh, believed to be some sort of water spirit that infests Mm. lakes and other bodies of water. It lives in swamps, creeks, billabongs, riverbeds, waterholes, etc., Aborigines used to tell tales of creatures that uh, hung out in the waterways and ate prey, anything that would come nearby. Uh, and that might just be a person oh every God. once in a while. Really? So there are stories of these creatures that go way back, but there are also modern sightings. One of the first modern recorded accounts of the Bunyip took place in 1818 when James Meehan and explorer Hamilton Hume both found enormous bones in Lake Bathurst, located in New South Wales. Really? They described the creature similar to a manatee or a hippopotamus. Sightings were most common between the 1840s and 1850s, and they were very well documented in Victoria and South Australia. An 1845 report in the Geelong Observer described several encounters with bunyips, including one that ended in a broken arm and another that ended in death. It also contained the following description. This comes from gizmodo.com. The bunyip, then, is represented as uniting the characteristics of a bird and an alligator. Oh, my God. It has a head resembling an emu with a long bill, at the extremity of which is a transverse projection on each side with serrated edges like the bones of a stingray. I don't like that. Its body and legs partake of the nature of the alligator. The hind legs remarkably thick and strong, and the forelegs much longer, but still of great length. When in the water, it swims like a frog. And when on the shore, it walks on its hind legs with its head erect, in which position it measures 12 or 13 feet in height. In height. This is nightmare fuel. Right? Holy shit. Now, the bunyip has many descriptions, though. Some say it has like a dog-like face, dark fur, and horse-like tail. Some claim it has flippers or even tusks like a walrus. It is believed that the bunyip could also be a surviving diprotodon, which did live in that region during the Pleistocene epoch uh, up till about 12,000 years ago in Australia. It's said, though, 
to not just be a creature that you spot in the woods and see like you would see a regular animal. It's said to be accompanied by an intense feeling of dread and well, sure, unwell. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, 12, 13 feet high. It's an alligator with wings. My thought is that it's kind of got that Mothman vibe. Yeah. Where it mm. it just brings this looming cloud of darkness and, and dread with it. Anyway, that's the bunyip. That's fun. Yeah. The Euroa beast is oftentimes connected with the bunyip. He is uh, thought to be a bulldog-faced amphibious beast uh, sighted in 1890. According to Cryptic.com, the first account of this unusual creature is from the Brisbane Courier and then in the Melbourne Argus in 1890. Considerable excitement, it was written, has been caused in Euroa by reports as to an extraordinary animal having been seen in the swamp. For six years or more, the swamp is reputed to have been the haunt of something abnormal. Tales being told of dogs flying out of the place and never being induced again to enter. Last week, a couple of young men went to the swamp for the purpose of cutting reeds, which are six foot high and very thick, and they were alarmed by a sudden splashing and snorting near at hand, and the rushes waved as if allowing passage of some sort of large animal. They quickly retired, but next day ventured back to gather the reeds. Then he saw a large head upreared, which he likens to that of a bulldog. Nope. It kept his position for about 10 minutes when it disappeared, the motion of the rushes giving the idea of an animal some 30 feet long. Nope, 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 nope. So, I mean, it's just a giant water lizard with a bulldog head. No big deal. <laughs> <sighs> In Australia, they do have their version of what we know as Bigfoot. Yes, of course they do. It's called the Yowie. And for all intents and purposes, it is a Yeti or a Bigfoot, a large, hairy, gorilla man thing that uh, hangs out in the outback. It, uh, again, goes all the way back to Australian Aboriginal oral history. They have many names, though. In parts of Queensland, they're known as Quinkin or... Jugabina. In parts of New South Wales, they're called Jurawara, Putikan, Dulaga, Gulaga, and Thulaga. Other names include Yaruma, Wawi, Jimbra, and others that I'm sure I would also butcher. <laughs> Yowie-type creatures are very common in legends in this region, particularly in the eastern Australian states. And they kind of carry the same characteristics of the, the Bigfoot. Okay. And again, uh, tootle about, but try to avoid you, but sometimes might have to eat a person or two. I don't think I've ever heard a story about Bigfoot eating somebody, at least in the Pacific Northwest. Maybe they just clean up well after themselves. Maybe. That could be. Water spirits or the, the evil uh, water creatures are very popular in Australia. Uh, you may have heard of the New South Wales Hawkesbury River monster. Again, depicted in indigenous Australian art, he's kind of plesiosaur-like. The 
Hawkesbury River has reported uh, this large reptilian or eel-like animal since as far back as 1924. Hawkesbury River is home to the mythological sea snake monster that is said to be like Loch Ness in size and elusivity. That's according to this guy, Rex Gilroy. He is a cryptozoologist, and he claims he saw a 12-meter giant shadow on the surface of the iconic river in 2009. Wow. This is after he'd already searched for this creature for 50 years. The New South Wales Hawkesbury River monster, which I think needs a quippier name, like Hawks, Hawksmonts or something like that. Or Hawksy. Hawksy. There we go. So Hoxie is reportedly responsible for a series of drownings and capsizings in the 1980s. And Gilroy concluded that the beast he'd been hunting was a, a mooliwonk. A mooliwonk. Which is, again, another one of those aboriginal stories that uh, go way back uh, that can kind of branch off into all kinds of different crazy uh very terrifying things. Now, these these disappearances and attacks happened in the just in the 80s? Mostly, mainly Mostly. in the 80s. Okay, just wondering why that would be. Well, uh, probably because of cocaine. (laughs) Maybe the monster is just uh, attracted to bright neon and hair gel. Maybe. Mm. Is that Aquanet? (laughs) Can't get enough. Aquanet and Tab. Anyway, um, those are just a few of the Australian uh, cryptids that I found. And again, a lot of them are connected to each other. So there are a lot of names for their version of Bigfoot. Um, And those individual names could be different species of Bigfoot, but we don't know. They could all be the same thing or nothing at all. I find it really interesting that oftentimes these cryptids, these um, animals that allegedly exist out there, are similar to animals or, in some cases, species that uh, did exist but are now extinct. You know, Mm. like Loch Ness, it's the plesiosaur. Sure. Uh, Bigfoot, many people have hypothesized that Bigfoot is a surviving member of Australopithecine. Mm Mm-hmm. The Euro beast, when you look at the description and the things written by those who reportedly cited this animal, and then look at the, uh, what was he called? Dipsilosaur? Diprotodon? There's so many of those vowels preceded by consonants there. Diprotodon? Diprotodon, which basically looks like a large, tusked, giant guinea pig meets hippo kind of guy. Mm. And so I buy it. You know, if he happened to be sticking around here and there and someone saw that, I can see how that would be, one, terrifying, and two, there would be lore. It's like the duckbill platypus. When Uh, reports started to come in about the duckbill platypus, people were like, (laughs) you're high. Right. Or giraffe. Giraffe, same yeah. thing, yeah. Oh, yeah? Uh, mm-hmm. Just its neck is really long? Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Oh, cool. It's fine. We have a pretty big Australian freak family. Mm. Um, and so those of you in the land down under, uh, share with us any stories that you might have heard. Yeah, and if you have any photos of dip- <laughs> absolutely send them to me, please. 
Or if you've got a really neat flashlight, mm-hmm. I want to know about yeah, it. Yeah. 2,200 lumens or, or more. Cat has her standards when it comes to flashlights. So you guys, we're excited. Our Patreon page is up. If you would like to support the Box of Oddities, we really, really do appreciate it. Mm. And uh, you can find the information at our website, theboxofoddities.com. Just click on the support this show link. Lots of great benefits for those of you who uh, who do support the Box of Oddities. Ad-free episodes, they come a day early. Even our Cat and Jethro's home phone number. There are there are boundaries though. You can't just call us anytime. <laughs> <laughs> there are different levels, one for each person, one one for every discerning box of oddities sponsor. <laughs> Theboxofoddities.com. Or if you want to go right to Patreon, patreon.com slash box of oddities. Looking forward to seeing you again next time, you freaks. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands henceforth the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories stories of the strange the bizarre the unexpected we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage the box of oddities.com on Facebook at facebook.com slash box of oddities podcast on Twitter at box of oddities and Instagram at box of oddities podcast copyright 2020 all rights reserved. Do you love history, but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts.